Aloha and welcome to Elevating Motherhood. I'm so glad you're here. I'm your host, Lori Beth Aldridge. I've taken my passion for conversation, perspective, and supporting moms and turned it into a podcast. My goal is to talk openly about motherhood, offer new ideas, and help moms find their confidence in this busy and sometimes overwhelming world we live in. We're going to dive deep, open up, and elevate motherhood. Thanks for being here with me. Let's get started. Thanks to Naupaka for supporting today's episode of Elevating Motherhood. Naupaka is an ethical online boutique based on Maui that is committed to ethical and fair trading practices. All of their products are either Fair Trade Federation certified, wrap certified, and or made or printed in the USA. This beautiful philanthropic boutique carries gifts and products for you and your whole family. They sell women's, men's, and children's clothing, jewelry, decals, phone stones, which are pretty cool, and home decor. Go check them out at nowpakastore.com. That's N-A-U-P-A-K-A store.com. And be sure to use the code YAYA10, Y-A-Y-A-10, for 10% off your purchase. I'll be sure to link to that in the show notes. Feel good about your holiday purchases this year and save a little money with that discount code. Head to nowpakastore.com after the show. You are in for a treat. That's nowpakastore.com. Today's episode of Elevating Motherhood is also sponsored by Blossom and Root, a nature-based Charlotte Mason-inspired homeschool curriculum company that has been gently guiding and supporting families for years. This thoughtful, age-appropriate curriculum begins at the preschool level with options all the way up to fourth grade, with more grade levels being released each year. Blossom and Root is the homeschool curriculum my family uses and loves. The information and ideas are easy to follow, fun, and engaging. If you're new to homeschool or looking for an inspired homeschool curriculum to help you lovingly teach and guide your children, I highly recommend Blossom and Root. Using this curriculum has brought so much connection and joy to our homeschool days. I absolutely love it. Blossom and Root has generously offered a discount code for Elevating Motherhood listeners. Use the code LORIBETH10, L-O-R-I-B-E-T-H-1-0 at checkout for 10% off your order. For more information about Blossom and Root, head over to elevatingmotherhood.com forward slash homeschool. That's elevatingmotherhood.com forward slash homeschool. I've known Trina Peak for many years and have always admired her incredible vision and generous heart. If you follow me on Instagram, you know I'm a big fan of her foundation, the Obaki Foundation, and their Scarves for Water program. It's been amazing to watch her business and philanthropic partnerships transform over the years, and I am super stoked to share more of Trina and her growth with you. She is a true thought leader in the philanthropic and social entrepreneurship space, and today's conversation really opened my heart to the changes that are needed and new ways that we can show up in small, but also generous and smart ways as consumers. 
Today, Trina shares about the power of believing in people and the creative ways she is helping open doors for communities around the world. We talk about the transformative influence of connection and compassion. We also chat about the pragmatics of being a working mom and what the balance of all of that looks like. Trina brings dignity and joy to every topic in this conversation. I appreciate her international perspective and all the ways she is updating philanthropic philosophy and contributing to purpose-led movements. I learned about how I can show up differently as a consumer and as a mom. This conversation is absolutely about how we show up in the greater world as women and moms, but also how we show up in our home too. Trina's got some great insights into what engaged parenting looks like and how it can help us dump some of the mom guilt we tend to carry around. Trina Peake's passion for travel and eye for design combined with her lifelong dedication to making a difference in the world inspired her to launch Obaki in 2005. The Obaki Foundation, its philanthropic counterpart, followed shortly thereafter. For decades, she has traveled the globe, always on the lookout for opportunities to wander off the beaten path to connect with people and their stories. Recognized as an influential speaker in the field of social entrepreneurship, Trina has spoken about modern philanthropic solutions in front of the U.S. Congress and the United Nations, and has been featured as a TED Talk presenter speaking on the power of selfless giving. In addition, her hands-on work in the field has been recognized and endorsed by the UN, UNICEF, and the Carter Center. Trina has traveled to Africa over 70 times, often with the Obaki Foundation, where she's formed partnerships with people and communities that have lasted for decades. Mama, thanks for being here for this empowering conversation that encourages trust, service, passion, responsibility, connection, and of course, motherhood. Without further ado, let's welcome the inspiring Trina Peak to the show. Aloha, Trina. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thanks for having me. Oh, it's been way too long. And it's so lovely to hear your voice and talk with you. And I already know a lot about you and the amazing woman and mother and person that you are. But I'd love for my listeners to get to know you in your own words. Please tell us about yourself. Oh, gosh. Um, Well, I am a mother of two. I have an incredible girl who just turned 15 and my son is 17. And (laughs) I know they grow up so fast. Mm. Um, And an incredible husband. I've got a golden retriever, two cats that I really didn't want, but I love them anyway. (laughs) Um, I have a company. So I have Obaki, which is a, a company we work with artisans all around the world. Um, showcasing, you know, their craft and, you know, what they do, who they are as humans. It's all purpose-led, purpose-driven. So at the end of each year, all my net profits go back into expanding the artisan programs or go into my development work with my foundation, which is Obaki Foundation. So, yeah, I mean, a working, busy, traveling mom, essentially. And I love to cook. I love to garden. I love to hike. I love to swim where... We live in Vancouver, BC, so we're right on the ocean, so we're in the water every day. Um, Yeah, that's me, I guess. Amazing. That's so awesome. 
Obaki is one of the main reasons that I wanted you to come on the show, because I think that what you're doing with the Obaki Foundation and your business and all of your work is just so incredible. How did Obaki and the Obaki Foundation come to be? And I'm also kind of curious, which came first, the, the company or the foundation? Yeah, so I've been doing philanthropy ever since I was 17 years old, um, formally. (laughs) But prior to that, even as a young kid, I was always, you know, really drawn to, you know, philanthropy and and purpose and service and helping others. And so that really has always been a part of me in my life. Um, Obaki itself was um, started in 2005. And then what happened is it was a fashion company. So I was showcasing my designs, you know, around the world, going to Paris and New York and Tokyo and, you know, selling our stuff everywhere. And um, it just sort of started to beat me down. And so what happened is, you know, I was running the foundation, doing the foundation and fashion at the same time, and the fashion brand would build and build and build. And, you know, I'd come back from somewhere like South Sudan, and people would say, okay, you know, what's the color of the season? And I'm like, how, how does that matter to you? And and so I, mm. I really started to morph the two over the years, recognizing that brands like mine could have a larger platform or voice to still draw attention and awareness to these other things that matter in our world. Um, and at the same time, as I was doing all this travel with Obaki Foundation, I was meeting these incredible craftsmen like master wood carvers or weavers or potters or indigo dyers, you know, in very remote regions of the world. And knowing that if they had access to an international market, that they would be able to turn around their economy and find a sustainable livelihood for themselves using their own two hands and this own skill that's been passed down through generations. So that's kind of the evolution of Obaki and where we're at now is I still do fashion, um, but now I've opened it up to include the work and of these other artisans and showcase who they are and the story and meaning behind, you know, these products that we put in our home that real people have made them um, and tell their story. Mm. Tell us about some of the products that the Obaki Foundation sells and then what happens when people buy those products. Yeah, so everything comes full circle. Like we will buy from our artisans at the price that they, you know, establish. Um, the Obaki Foundation comes in and helps them establish a local market because what I don't want is an artisan in a corner of the world to be solely dependent on, you know, us as a company. You have to, for sustainability purposes, make sure that there is a local market. And so the foundation goes in and establishes that with them. Then we buy it and bring it here, um, sell it, tell the story. Every single product that someone buys from our website, for example, comes with the story of that artisan. Um, You know, I just got back, uh, well, two weeks ago from uh, heading into South Sudan and to meet some of our artisan partners in um, Kenya as well. And, you know, I meet this lady. She's a basket weaver. She's amazing. She's been weaving baskets her whole life. Her name's Margaret. And, you know, I sit with her and she starts crying. And I'm like, why are you crying? And she's like, because this is the first time someone has come to see me and these baskets. Like people buy my baskets all the time. It's big companies, you know, will negotiate a low price, buy the baskets, put their name on it, and you never hear about Margaret. And so for me, that was so important as a company to be able to tell that story of the people that are behind the products that are making them. And that day, Margaret was crying. And she said, now I know that I am finally worthy. I'm worthy. Because you've come all this way to see me. 
And I'm like, wow, it's just some such simple things that we can do as humans, right? To open up our connection to the world mm-hmm. and to other people. And so Obaki, I mean, that's what we stand for is that I want people to A, consume less. And I know that sounds crazy being a e-com business, but it's a philanthropic e-com business. Um, but to consume less. And when you do buy those things that are meaningful and have value and, you know, represent someone, like everything has a story, a soul, a purpose, a person behind it. And so if you get, you know, that basket, it's going to come with the uh, description of Margaret, who she is, why she does it, and, you know, how it's helping her with with her business. So um, to me, I think that's so important. I mean, it's that detachment that we have from our own food or the detachment we have from the product that we have in our homes. And, you know, instead of just a throw cushion on your couch and you have no idea who made it, where it came from, or you even care, I mean, that's going to be thrown out the next, you know, next time you get bored and you want to redecorate. But if you know who made it and you know, okay, that was made by Bubakar Dumbia from Mali. And, you know, here I know all about him and his family and, you know, you feel more connected to him and you're, you're going to hold on to these things in your home a little bit longer, which is better for the environment and better for our world in general. Mm-hmm. So interesting. I love how you are swimming upstream almost um, with the whole, you're selling products, but you're also encouraging people to consume less. And I think that there is a, a common sense balance to that message, actually, because you are battling detachment. And we need that in our world, we need that connection. And you have just shared with us the power of acknowledgement and connection to goods, because the connection to goods is actually not the connection to goods, but it's the connection to the people yeah, exactly. who are creating those, which is really, really awesome. Right. And when you look at, you know, Obaki Foundation or any other charitable organization, the old school way of doing philanthropy also doesn't work where you go in and, and give handouts or, um, and so this is really just these partnerships that I have with everyone. It's their, their business partnerships. Like I've got an incredible brass maker, Um, Mm -hmm. His name's Sylvester. And, you know, his goal is to expand his uh, workshop. It's a really small little workshop right now. He wants to expand it to include um, underprivileged youth from his neighborhood in order to teach them the skill of blacksmithing. And, you know, so as I grow with him and I attach, you know, our customers or connect our customers to him. Like I just came back from there and he's, I'm showing him all these messages from people like, please show Sylvester I'm wearing his ring. And, you know, he was so excited. He's like, people know Mm -hmm. of me over there. They know of this man named Sylvester who can make beautiful things. And I'm like, yes, they know you because every single piece that comes out from our office that is made by him includes information about him. And, you know, for him, he, he, it opens up our world, it connects everyone. And it also helps then, you know, him expand his business, which to me, is a much better way of doing philanthropy, because it's it's businesses and partnerships and believing in people and in their ability to create change themselves, which is what these regions of the world have been telling us since the beginning of time. So Hmm. And you, I love that. And you just shared about him on Instagram. Um, yeah. And the way that you share about him, I actually felt like I wanted to know him more, <laughs> but he had a story to, to tell. And, and one of the things that you mentioned um, in your Instagram posts and stories and all of that is, is how philanthropy is changing and that they, they don't want charity so much as the opportunity to mm-hmm. live a purposeful and meaningful life and create uh, the 
their art. And it's just absolutely fascinating. And I would love, since you're on the front lines of of philanthropy changing, um, what you hope that we would get out of philanthropy, modern philanthropy, if you will, how we could shift our views about philanthropy and helping others? Yeah. So when I was uh, on my last mission, I'm working along the border of South Sudan and Uganda and I went, you know, in a UN um, convoy, they were taking me through the area. They had asked that our organization comes over and see what kind of program work we can do. And, you know, they're still looking at emergency relief services, that kind of thing. And I said, you know what, I don't, I don't want to see any of that. I want to meet the people that are ready and willing and able to, to do things like I want to meet your local beekeeper. I want to meet, you know, that kid that's getting up at, you know, 4am and hiking all the way to the other side of the resettlement area to go to school and back again. I want to meet like, you know, a woman who started a craft and is selling it on the side of the road. Like these are the people that we like to wrap our programs around. And Mm. so the day that I went in there, it was amazing. I ended up meeting a group of women. There was a co-op of women and we roll in and, you know, the UN said, you've got five minutes here. And I'm like, okay, five minutes is fine. Thinking in my head, I'll take however long I need to take with these women. (laughs) But we go in and right away, this one strong lady stands up and she says, thank you for coming. And I, I wish you no um, <clears throat> disrespect to the UN because you guys cared for emergency needs. But do you see these two hands? These two hands are meant to grow rice, not receive bags of it. Like, let us use our own two hands to change our own futures. That's what we want. And so in that moment, I said, well, you know what? I have this scarf program. So my scarves, 100% of the net proceeds go back into supporting, you know, these regions of the world. And I said, what about if you guys help me design this new scarf print and tell your story through your drawings and I'll sell it and invest that money back into programs here for you. And you guys determine what those programs are, like business opportunities, like small business loans. And so within I don't know, four minutes, we're all gathered on the floor, we've got paint, I don't know why I had paint and paper in my bag, being the creative person that I am, awesome. paint and paper all over the floor, and pretty soon these women started singing and dancing and crying, mm. and we're all going, like, what is happening? And one of the UN guys that really was based on the ground just got up and said, you know what, Trina, this is the first time they've sang since I've been here. Oh, wow. And that was really just because they were able to use their own two hands to tell their own story. And since then, I've taken that scarf and sold it all around the world. I did a pop up in Tokyo, in one of the big department stores told their story, I was their voice for them, we sold lots of scarves, and we put it back into that region, we've started soap making, we started an agriculture program, we have started a tailoring program, and we've started like this cooking kind of catering program. Um, and so those women feel so proud of that, because they're the ones that created it. So for me, that's philanthropy. It's not, yes, there's emergency service stuff that needs to happen, but it's it's believing in people and helping open doors for those people when you can. And that's something you can do even locally, right? It's just mm-hmm. it's connecting with people. It's talking to them. It's understanding what they need in order to take their lives to the next level. And it, to me, it's just, it's being connected and compassionate and for me I always believe in people I keep saying that but you go on our website it's like we believe in people that's our approach to philanthropy and so I can't actually say that I've ever been let down I've been doing this now I've been to Africa over 70 times and we've got 
beekeeping programs, agriculture programs, like you name it, we've done it. And I can't tell you one time that I've been let down by these people that I've partnered with. Isn't that incredible? Like It is so incredible. That is the word for it, for sure. I cannot thank you enough for bringing dignity and joy to the conversation when it comes to philanthropy and sharing with us this understanding of how we can, in essence, vote with our dollar, but instead of just donating, actually just adding in that extra step of like using our dollar to make a difference in other people's lives by giving them an opportunity to be themselves and to use their skills and their joy. And uh, I am so blown away. And I had this whole list of questions and I'm like, never mind. <laughs> never mind. <laughs> Tarina is just so, well, oh no, man. You know, I, I have to say I've been in these villages and I'll sit with an entire, you know, community and I'll, and we call it participatory assessment. It's just like where it's, it's community led. So I'll just say, you know, what are your goals as people? What are your goals as a community? Where do you guys see yourselves? What, you know, that sort of thing. And, and it just in this last uh, couple trips ago, I was there, you know, they, this village elder stands up and says, we have tons of Shea trees here, like tons. And right now we're just making oil out of it. We'd love to expand our Shea program. Well, just so happens that I was actually looking for a village to do this. in. That's so, amazing. But they already mm-hmm. had a business plan. They had a business plan on, you know, and so what I do is I bring in some experts to help teach, you know, how to harvest it properly, how to dry it, how to turn it into lotions and butters and shampoos and that sort of thing. And we've already started that with them, but you know, I can't tell you the amount of times I've been in a village and people will say, here's our business plan. And I think that's a misconception on this side of the world is that, you know, we have to go in, the Western world has to go in and we have to like, you know, put in our own curriculum or we have to do this or we have to, you know, teach people how to do things like there's no way I've learned way more over there than I've taught anyone. And there's enough local experts on the ground to be doing everything. Every single one of my country directors or people that I've worked with in all of these countries are from the country that we're in. All my drilling teams are local. My, you know, the field staff are local. Like we don't need to have international staff to do these things. Like that's also a misconception. And so anyway, like long story short, what I see when I'm there is like really capable people that have already sat down as a community, organized themselves, have figured out what they want to do. And so then it just takes, you know, a little bit of um, investment and funds to open some of these doors and a little bit of business support. And then away they go. They're on their own, right? Wow. I am so struck by this whole notion of you acknowledging that people are ready now. They're ready now. They have the business plans. They have the motivation. They have all of this within them. And and I love your perspective of how we're not going in and saving them. We're providing them opportunities mm-hmm. because they are ready now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's amazing. Gosh, and now I'm kind of wondering like how you harness that ready now energy for buyers in the Western world, if you will, because I feel like people are going to be hearing this message and being like, okay, I'm ready now, ready now to help. What can they do to help those people who are also ready now? How do you match up that energy? 
Well, I think where, you know, that's a little bit of where my job comes in is that I can't expect people to go over and meet all these people (laughs) that I'm working with or even go to these regions. A lot of them are, you know, conflict zones or they're just really difficult to go to. Plus, we're in a global pandemic. Um, But I think for me, it's bringing those stories back and being able to respectfully um, tell those stories of who they are as a person. And um, what, what I'm finding on this side is that we really do have a great conscious consumer, like someone who's looking to buy things that do good, you know, that like, it's this whole purpose led movement. And mm-hmm. so I've been able to create these small communities of people where there are pe- like, I know they love the rings that Sylvester's making, but I also equally know that they love Sylvester himself and they Mm. have bought into him and what he wants to create. And so if I'm able to continue, you know, telling the story of Sylvester and what he does and the growth, you know, through all of our um, purchase here, if you have your mom has a birthday or, you know, you're buying something for Christmas, we'll buy something from one of these artisans because that money then goes back to them and they're able to expand their business. And then not only that, but you get that fulfillment of being connected to someone and watching them grow as people and their businesses grow as well. And so, yeah, for me, it's, it's trying to, um, continue to tell those stories, to respectfully tell those stories, to make sure that we're representing our artisans in the best possible way. Um, and then for me, just keeping connected to them. Like I, I spend half of my day on WhatsApp talking to our artisans. Like if, you know, if there's an earthquake somewhere, I'm like, how is your family? Are you okay? And I mean, right now we have 50 or 60 artisans around the world that I'm talking to on a regular basis. Like we truly see these artisans as an extension of our Obaki family. And you won't, any of my staff, you talk to them, you say, okay, you know, who's Amadou? They'll, they'll tell you everything there is to know about Amadou. Like we we're seeing this as, um, just uh, it, it's really fulfilling to to mm-hmm. be connected again to people and I feel like that's what we've missed a lot in the last little while you know I don't want to sound I don't want to date myself here but like you know with you know our iPhones and social media platforms and we're just like plowing through information daily and yeah. we just forgot to stop and connect with others and Tech, we can use technology in order to do that in a in a better way, and so that's kind of what we're trying to facilitate is a connection between consumers and the people who make their product. That's amazing, Trina. You are one of the most authentic people I know. Like just knowing you personally, and then hearing you talk, I know that you mean literally everything that you say, and I super appreciate your your vision for all of this and and promoting connectedness, and then you know not shaming people for being on their phones, but using it as a vehicle for more connectedness and really understanding the people behind all of these posts and these pictures and these products and all of that. I love the the deeper level that you go to with us and for us to promote this, this connectedness. And I was going to ask you what inspires you to keep going, but I think that you've definitely already answered that question. 
But I am wondering what inspires you to keep taking on more people and causes and projects, because I know you were just in Africa helping the chimpanzees. (laughs) And I, I honestly saw that and thought, wow, that is just one more thing that she's taking on. And so I'm kind of wondering your motivation uh, behind taking on more. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, if you're, if you want to ask me what one of my flaws are, I really, I think this, this could be it. It's, it's actually a a benefit and a flaw, but I mean, I I really have a hard time um, turning away from something where I know I can, I can help. And so really, um, you know, I just came back from the border of South Sudan, DRC and CAR, and that's a typical area where there's a lot of animal trafficking. And Mm. of course I'm compassionate toward people and animals but to me this sort of um, this illegal wildlife trafficking trade it happens in these regions because of poverty and so for me it does link to humanity and to the development work that I'm doing and I have been working in South Sudan for 15 years or so we've done a lot of water wells and agriculture programs and so you know this is just another layer to the desperation that's there in this part Mm -hmm. of the world and so impoverished communities along the border what they're having to do is sell these endangered species now to these dealers that come through they take these baby chimpanzees up to the border of Egypt and sell them for a lot of money to mainly um you know, countries that are are looking to have pets in their homes as status symbols, um, they sell them to zoos, or there are still circuses out there, if you can believe it, where the animals mm-hmm. are broken down and, and made to perform, or there's an illegal exotic meat market as well. And so wow. that's really the yeah, the fate of these little baby chimpanzees. So their entire families are... Um, killed and then the babies are taken and sold because they're worth a lot of money um so for me of course it's the you know the wildlife conservation issue these are endangered species they are absolutely amazing creatures like i know you saw those on my instagram Mm -hmm. so Um, did my girls it was thrilling beyond all reason it was amazing beautiful um Mm -hmm. and so yes it's illegal and we've we're working with the wildlife officers in order to break down that system and intercept them before they hit the the trade but to me, it ties into humanity because, yeah. you know, these these impoverished villages, they have no other option but to sell them because they have no other way of providing um, for their families. And so for me, it does kind of go hand in hand. Um, of course, I was going there to check up on our development programs as well. And this was kind of a side project. So yes, I do take on a lot of side projects, <laughs> awesome. but they're always like helping. They're helping projects. <laughs> so I, I did have that conversation with my family. I'm like, do you guys mind if I just, you know, head over and rescue a few chimpanzees <laughs> during global pandemic in the Congo? Is that okay? <laughs> My husband's like, yeah, whatever. You know, he's just like, he's so used to it by now. <laughs> that is amazing. And I do see the connectedness. Now that you've pointed it out, I get it. I totally get it that you are showing people that there are other options. Like you're pointing out that they feel like they don't have a choice. They've got to do something. And it is this desperation that creates this sort of illegal trade. And, and you're over there creating other options too. And then also, 
you know, saving the chimpanzees at the same time. It's, it's incredible. It's incredible. Well, I'd actually love to tap into a little bit of family and balance and motherhood stuff too, because I know that so many moms are seeking balance in their lives these days, whatever that means. And mm-hmm. I'd love to know what balance looks like for you when it comes to motherhood and running a business and running a philanthropic organization and, and saving monkeys. Like it, it sounds, I don't know, is it separate or do you try to incorporate the two? Like, what is that? look like in your life as a a working mom? Well, I think it's evolved or it's changed or shifted um, as my kids uh, grew into teenagers. Like as infants, like we would just take them everywhere. I'd take them everywhere with me. You know, I remember I had Obaki, but my kids would be in a, in a sling or, you know, I just, I brought my kids to work. They were, they were a part of me. I know when you have your own company, you have more you know, opportunity to do that. So I was quite lucky in the early years. Um, but I always tried to find this balance of, um, I felt like it was just something that I could intuitively feel if I was mm-hmm. spending too much time at work or doing, you know, too distracted in other areas of my life, I would feel that because first and foremost is my family. I mean, it doesn't sound like that. I'm driven by a lot of these other things. And those are my passions that I have had since I was a child. Um, But I actually feel like those passions have made me a a better mother. They've made me um, just a better person in my family environment. And so for me, it was really just about finding, you know, it just is just more of a gut feeling. I know that sounds crazy, but if I just was spending a bit too much time doing one or the other, my own intuition would tell me that. And then I would balance it out. Um, I thought it was also very important as a mother to be able to show my kids, especially my daughter, that it's okay to go after your own dreams and to, you know, be involved in things that matter to you. Because I have seen a lot of my friends give a lot up in, you know, they're a lawyer, they were doing various um, careers. And when they had kids, they stopped. And that is, I, I'm not saying that's wrong. I've just seen a lot of my friends end up um, want like wishing that they would have kept a hobby or kept something going for themselves. And so, you know, as their kids get older, then at the end of it, they're looking back going, oh, shoot, now I've lost myself in it. And I'm not saying you have to work, you certainly don't. But you have to, in my opinion, keep true to who you are as a person and what makes you happy every day including your family. And so that was what I was trying to teach my kids as we grew up, as they grew up. Um, unfortunately, I, I, I'm not sure. I mean, now it's worked as they're teenagers. I'm seeing my daughter. She's an activist. She's a philanthropist. Mm-hmm. She's, she's just so independent and fierce. And she's like, I'm going to start a business and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. But there was <laughs> one point when she was quite little. And I think I was the only working mom, which comes with a lot of guilt too, by the way, the only mm-hmm. working mom in that whole school that she went to. And so I'm laying in bed at night and I'm feeling all proud that I'm teaching her that you can still work and have a family. And, and then, you know, she says, you know what, mom, when I'm, when I'm older, like you, I'm going to make sure I marry someone richer, because I feel sorry for you that you have to work. <laughs> And I'm like, 
like, oh no, this whole thing backfired. I like, <laughs> I put her to bed and then I went to my husband and I'm crying and like, she's looking at me working and she's saying that she doesn't want to work and she wants to marry someone rich. So she doesn't have to work. This whole thing has backfired. I'm a terrible mom. <laughs> oh and of course God. we go through so many of those phases as, as mothers, you feel guilty if you yeah. work, you feel guilty if you don't, like you constantly feel guilty. And, and so yeah. I, to me, it's just about what drives you as a person, what makes you feel happy as a person, what motivates you. And for me, it wasn't staying at home. I would have been, I don't know, I, I don't feel I would have been as good of a mother if I let go of some of those things that I felt inside me that drove me all the time. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Like oh, it-, it makes 100% sense. Yes, 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 yes. I hear you on all those levels. And um, me in this podcast, my passion for helping moms and helping them feel confident and resourced and connected to other mothers around the world is absolutely something that makes me a better mother, I feel like. And what you just pointed out to us is so powerful that we can trust our intuition. You're completely correct. There are some nights, you know, we go to bed and my daughters will say something like, oh, we really just don't want you to work tonight, you know, (laughs) or I'm like, oh boy, okay. You know, and I have to feel out that situation and know that I know in my gut, in my in my being, what the right answer is. Do I lay down with them and wake up early the next morning to work on my project? Or do I say, Oh, it's okay. You know, um, mommy just has to work. Sometimes I have a deadline and, and that's okay. You know, daddy's here, all the things, you know, I can work that out without feeling like my kids emotions drive everything in the moment or my emotions drive everything in the moment, especially depending on what time of the month it is (laughs) and, and how much sleep I have gotten or haven't gotten. And there's just so many different factors, but if I can hone in on my own gut feelings and intuition as a mom, I can find that balance for myself too, of how much I work and how much I show up for them, always putting them first and listening to them and honoring their needs and requests too. But I would like to think that what I'm modeling for them is capability Mm-hmm. and trust and passion. And you're right. I love it when little, you know, entrepreneurial spirits, they're ready to take on causes and start businesses and do all of these things. And there's ups and downs with that. You know, <laughs> there's times they're going to make requests that they wish things were different. And then there are times that they're just going to take that bull by the horns and, and start that business, even at the age of seven. Mm-hmm. And, and you know what, I think you, you kind of nailed it when you said it, it's, it is about balance. And it's about knowing like, is it, there's so many times as, as a mother where you do feel guilty, especially if you're working, you're like, oh, you know, maybe I should work less or I shouldn't go on that business trip or I shouldn't do those things. And, and, you know, there's been a lot of times where I've made a decision to go and I, but I do know that it, it influences my family. Like I have sat down with my mm-hmm. kids and said, you know, in order for me to do this philanthropic stuff around the world I know that that also involves you um, being okay with me going and so this isn't just me making a sacrifice it's you guys too and I'm grateful for that and you guys are a part of all of this change that's been able to occur because it it does ripple through our family and and so just letting them know that they're a part of what you're doing I think is is important um and, you know, Dax, the other day, my 17-year-old, he, as he's trying to contemplate things he's doing in his life, and 
you know, I've felt guilt because I am back and forth to Africa and I'm really busy. And yes, I'm home every single day and I always put a meal on the table and I'm always connected with them. But as a mother, I always still feel like, have I done enough? Am I, am I there enough? And, you know, he sat down with me the other night and said, you know, what I'm learning is that when you're a parent, you just give up everything for your kids. And I'm like, you do? What do you mean? Who told you that? And he's like, well, look at you and dad. He's like, all you guys do work. Your kids are number one, always. Like you always give up everything for your kids. And I'm sitting there going, oh, wow, I'm so happy he thinks that. Because, <laughs> That's awesome. You know, so sometimes I, I think we carry too much of it in our own heads because yeah. I, I said to him, do you think that all I've done is parenting. And he's like, yeah, that's, that's all you've done. And then I said, where did I just come from last month? He's like, oh, well, you went to Uganda. And then you, you were in South Sudan. And oh, you did this and that. And then he's like, oh, wait a minute, you are doing other things. But as a kid to him, he just saw that we were putting him first. And so I think that's pretty important to me as a message. I was like, wow, all this guilt that I'm carrying on myself about maybe I'm not there enough. Actually, it's just my own guilt talking, you know, mm-hmm. because if you, if you are an engaged parent and you're listening to your kids and you're spending that quality time with them, you know, they, they're remembering that, you know, that, that carries a, goes a long way in their world. Thank you for that. That's incredibly honest. And awareness over guilt, I think, is a really powerful message for us to hear. And it's just a really balanced view of what engaged parenting looks like. Because I think um, as a society, we have this really skewed view of what that's supposed to look like. You know, we think that it looks like sitting down at the dinner table every night at five o'clock, no matter what, Mm -hmm. you know, and eating the same food. And that's what has to happen in order for connection to happen. But that just isn't the case. Mm-hmm. at all. There's so many different options for connection with our kids that don't look like other people's. Exactly. You know, your life is definitely not a cookie cutter version of anybody's life. And no. and I feel the same way about mine. And, and basically, I feel the same way about all my friends, too, and people that I know and all the moms that we are not going to have the same connection space or the connection with our kids, but we're going to have it. Right. And just we can all be engaged and aware and honest with ourselves and our children and just start honoring that over, over the guilt. It's so true. And I think it's just being reflective of who you are as a person and who your kids are and what your family dynamics are and how you've been able, you know, to create that, that good environment within that and not looking outside of it going, you know, oh, well, you know, their family does it this way, or, you know, they do, they sit down all the time with their kids for dinner, or, you know, the mom makes breakfast every time before they go to school, or the mom's always at the PTA meetings, or, you know, you're, it's so easy to look outside and say, wow, wait a minute, they're doing that, and I'm not, so I must not be doing it right. Like, you flip it the other way, for sure, that person's looking in my life and going, oh, okay, she's done this with their kids, and she's showing them this. And so I think it's just, being confident in in who you are as a parent and and finding your own ways within your own family to connect for sure. Mm-hmm. You know your passion. I know my passion, and I know other moms are exploring their passion or trying to figure it out, or they know what it is and they're ready to take that next step. So I was hoping that maybe you could give us some advice about where to start if moms are wanting to start a business or pursue a calling on their heart to create something or even start a philanthropic cause. 
I think, you know, the advice that I always have for people as they're thinking about doing things is to really just not think as much. Awesome. <laughs> I know. Ready that. now, right? Ready I now. know that sounds just so simple, but you know, I think of all of these scenarios that I've got myself into. And yes, there's been some where I'm like, why did I do that? But for the most part, it always leads to something. And for sure, it leads to, you know, personal fulfillment, or you've learned something along these paths. And for me, every one of those paths that I've gone on, including this recent chimpanzee rescue mission, what am I doing rescuing chimpanzees? Well, it got put in front of me and I said yes. And I didn't think about, okay, how am I going to do all of those steps? Because when you say yes to something, um, you just find the way to get there, right? And so you put one foot in front of the other and you build slowly or you build quickly or it doesn't matter. You just, you just have to stop thinking about it. I I find people get quite um, overwhelmed by trying to plan all of those in-between steps that need to be taken to reach that Mm -hmm. goal to the point where they just don't do it right? I don't even think it's a fear of failure. I just think it's like, oh my gosh, I'd love to do that, but I don't really know how. It's like just if you change the way you think and say, I'm going to do that, and then you're going to find the way to get there. Like South Sudan, you know, I remember laying in bed one night and one of these guys that I had worked with, he got placed over in South Sudan at the end of his military mission or military career. And he called me in the middle of the night. He's like, Trina, you have to come over to South Sudan. There are people dying. They need clean water. There's clean water tables that run under the surface. In two or three days, we can bring water to these people. It's really easy. We just need to figure out how to do it. Will you do it? Can Let's do 500 water wells this year. And I'm in the middle of the night. I'm like, yeah, okay. Sounds good. I'll call you tomorrow. Next day, I got up. I'm like, okay, we're going to do 500 water wells. And I remember my husband going, how? In South Sudan? Where's that? I'm like, well, it's over there. And we're going to do it. And we've done 4,000 now. So for me, it's just if if I would have thought about it too much, I never would have started it. And it's also okay to start something and go, you know what, this isn't right for me, or it may lead you to something else. But I, I think it's just about starting. Hmm. Say yes. That is brilliant. That is absolutely brilliant. I agree. I, but I'm also a very impulsive person too. <laughs> yes, I am very impulsive for sure. Yes, <laughs> that's why I surround myself with you know people on my team that are a little bit more organized. My right hand gal, you know, every time she's like, "But Trina, have you thought about this and this and this?" And I'm like, "No, of course not." <laughs> so I'm teaching her to jump, and she's teaching me to like check the water before I jump, kind of thing. <laughs> That's awesome. Say yes and surround yourself with grounded people. (laughs) That is really my advice. (laughs) That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Well, what about those of us who want to help causes that are already established too? Because some some people's passions for this topic, for philanthropy, aren't going to look like them starting a philanthropic organization, but instead help already established ones. So what can we do to help out the Obaki Foundation and Annie's work with the chimpanzees. Yeah, I mean, so first and foremost, people don't have to donate to us or, or buy product from us or anything. Um, but what I will say about that is just that whoever you do donate to, you should be able to pick up the phone and talk to that the person who runs it or someone there mm-hmm. to ask questions. And so find out how much administrative costs are there, how much is going to program work, what successes or results have they seen in the field, what are their goals for the next year? Like, 
you should be able to pick up a phone and talk to anyone on a board for any nonprofit organization. And if you do donate, you should be getting updates and you should know where your donation has gone. You, a lot of us write checks and you never see again, where where your money went. And so for me, it's about practicing smart philanthropy. So going and and actually meeting the organization. Um, we're small enough that if someone calls and they want to talk to me, they can. And I'll tell them all about the stories and the people and the villages and, and the artisans and that kind of thing. I know that's not realistic for large companies, but you should be able to, to get answers to those questions. Um, and, you know, as a mother for your children, it is incredible to be able to engage them in philanthropy, like, you know, and it doesn't have to be a particular organization, you can have like a, you can create a small family fund for yourself where you, mm. let's say you put in, I don't know, whatever your budget is, you have got, you know, 200 $500 for the year, you sit down over a family dinner, and you say, okay, here's our family fund, and everybody go away and and research which organization or cause that you think we should contribute money to. And and everyone holds a place at that table. And so mm-hmm. like for Dax, when he was little, he he was into the Gibbon monkeys and he wanted to save them. And so he wanted his money to go to WWF and you know, but I, but the part of that was, okay, then it's your job as, as a member of our family foundation to research that organization and find out how much money is going to the cause versus administration or what are their policies in this or that. And it just gives the kids an opportunity to start practicing smart philanthropy right at the beginning. And it also shows you at the table that, you know, just because I'm invested in people and water wells or artisans, my son is invested in gibbon monkeys, my husband's invested in environmental protection. You know, my daughter is really interested in helping our downtown Vancouver East Side and and the homeless population. And, and that also encourages, I think, you know, respect and 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 open mindedness, and and to show that there is a different perspective and how everyone can help, even within the same family. So, mm-hmm. um, I didn't really answer your question, but I went on a different tangent. But yes, oh, no, you answered my question. <laughs> I am staring at this list, going, "Yes, smart philanthropy tips." You know, ask questions, ask thoughtful questions. You've given us the answer or the questions to ask. You know, looking for updates, and, and that will help us stay connected too. And then involving our kids and start a family foundation. I mean, I am so excited to walk upstairs and at breakfast announce that we're starting a family foundation, <laughs> and I cannot wait to hear what each of my daughters would be interested in. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That is just fabulous. 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 Well, looking to the future, what new projects are you working on or, or what are you hoping to accomplish next? Cause honestly, Trina, whatever it is, I know that you're going to pull it off with so much grace and compassion. Oh, thank you. Um, Right now, what we're focusing on is more on the Obaki side, only because the Obaki side does connect to the Obaki Foundation. It's driving um, sustainable economic type of stability livelihood initiatives by what these artisans have identified as something, you know, that will work for them in their communities. And so it's, it's really expanding these artisan partnerships. I've got wood carvers from Mali, potters from Uganda. I've got indigo um, dyers. I've got, you know, blacksmiths. Like I, I can't, actually can't even, I've got 
you know, artisans I'm working with in Japan. I've got 18 different states in Mexico, like 3,000 different communities that are doing basket weavings and textiles and um, pottery again. So for me, that's really exciting because it's kind of where design and philanthropy connect. And so mm-hmm. on obaki.com, we're launching a whole bunch of new products. All of those products link to people. We know that it's done no harm to the environment because I've seen it all from concept to completion. So no harm to the environment and no harm to the people that have created it. That's my mandate. Um, And so each product comes with a a beautiful little description of the artisan who made it. So I'm really excited about expanding those partnerships and getting into those communities and seeing how a backing foundation can help from there, whether it be through agriculture initiatives or education for the children or that kind of thing. Um, and with the Obaki Foundation, of course, 100% of our, our donations go to our projects. So Obaki covers all the administrative fees. So really what we're doing is same thing, water wells, agriculture, artisan partnerships, small business loans. Like we're just doing more and more and more. Of course, this global pandemic has you know, been a little bit of an issue for us. And I haven't been able to travel as much to these regions, but I have incredible teams that are are based on the ground that are able to continue to push these things forward, because now even more so than ever, it's important, you know, um, without tourists coming to these regions, then I'm really grateful that we've been able to start establishing a local market that's online, because so many of these artisans are being affected by COVID and not having tourists in into their regions, particularly the ones from Mexico. So it's just about expanding and continuing to to facilitate these connections between our consumers and our and our artisans and business partners. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Trina, I know my listeners are gonna to want to connect with you and your causes more. Where can they find you? So you can check out obaki.com, O-B-A-K-K-I.com, or obakifoundation.org. You can find either of those um, companies through either platform. Um, And also you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook. You can follow Obaki or you can follow me personally, Trina Peak. And we're just telling the stories of our artisans on all those platforms. So if people check us out there, they yeah might find something that interests them, a certain cause or, you know, a certain person that they may, yeah, want to be connected to. Mm, amazing. Trina, thank you so much for all the ways that you show up for the world and for us today and your family and other moms. And thank you so much for these messages of trust and service and passion and responsibility and connection. My heart is so full. And I know that people listening, their hearts are also really full to Trina. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you. Oh, thanks, Laurie. Thanks for having me on the show. That's it for this episode of Elevating Motherhood. Thanks again for spending your valuable time with me today. I hope you found some insight and inspiration, or maybe a little of both. If you like today's show, please leave a review on iTunes. I use your feedback to plan future shows and cover topics that serve you. You can also connect with me on Instagram and Facebook. Links to those accounts are in the show notes. For more information, including today's show notes, head to elevatingmotherhood.com. That's elevatingmotherhood.com. Thanks again, Mama. I appreciate you.